As Trevor said, I, uh, my name is Jake. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, <clears throat> I'm stoked to be in God's Word with you today. Uh, as we continue our Kingdom Life series on uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 7 of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, as we continue this series. Um, if you don't know where Matthew is, that's okay. There's this cheat sheet area called the Table of Contents in the front. It'll tell you the page, okay? Or if you're on the phone, it's the one that starts with M and ends with Matthew, okay? There you go. I love that passage, Trevor, what you shared. Isaiah the prophet and God, God says, who, who will go for me? And Isaiah stands up and says, here am I, Lord, send me. May that be on our minds and in our hearts uh, as we take the text of Scripture this morning. May we answer that call. Here am I. Here's Jake. God. Send me, use me. We're going to be looking at the golden rule, which starts in verse 12. Um, some of your Bibles, uh, this section might be uh, together, verse 12, 13, and 14. Uh, others of you, you might have a break between 12, uh, 13, and 14. Um, but the, the latter here actually makes more sense for is the end of a section, right? And the beginning of the end of his sermon altogether, the beginning and the conclusion. And he starts out with ending the section of, with the golden rule. And he transitions to the beginning of the end of the sermon with the narrow way. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 12 says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This verse is titled the golden rule. Maybe your Bible has that titled above. It's written, it's titled. Jesus didn't title this one verse. He didn't title this one section, this one sentence, golden rule, when he's going through the sermon. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the golden rule. He didn't do that. Okay, But we have that and it came much later right? Much longer down the road when we started to get the text of Scripture in our hands. And in one of the commentaries this week, I learned about why it is called the golden rule. I learned a fun fact. So, fun fact. An emperor named Alexander Severus had three famous, or had these famous Jesus words written upon his wall, and you guessed it, gold letters. You guys are smart. <laughs> Did you know this already? No, okay. So this is a fun fact, right? And so he had this, he's, he's, this is Emperor Severus. He, he's obviously a lover of gold home decor, right? He, he writes a famous Jesus sermon quote on the wall in gold, an inspirational quote, right? Uh, that kind of sounds like a rule to live by. Hence the golden rule, fun fact. Okay, so that's a silly example. But see, uh, <clears throat> when you're learning about a fact um, that just so happens to be fun in nature, you declare it emphatically at the front end and the back end with fun fact. 
essentially forming a bracket around the fact with a declaration of intent before and after. Why am I saying all this? Okay, See, the statement that forms what I've just said as fun fact is called an inclusio. Yes, it's a silly example, but there's a point to this. And yes, inclusio is a seminary word that I didn't think I would use outside of the classroom, so this is fun, okay? <clears throat> this is an inclusion statement within what Jesus is sta- saying here in chapter 7. The inclusio begins back in chapter 5, verse 17, where Jesus is opening up his sermon with, do not think that I have come to abolish or get rid of the law and prophets. I've not come to abolish it, but to fulfill them. And then when we jump here into our chapter in chapter 7, where Jesus again restates essentially what he said two chapters ago, for this is the law and prophets. Or in the NIV translation, it says this sums up the law and prophets. This golden rule sums up the great two-thirds of the Bible that we have, the Old Testament law and prophets. And the statement he makes here is, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. It's a summary of the the whole lot of it. Yeah, one sentence to sum up all of this law and prophets. It kind of sounds like a little too perfect and tidy, right? Especially for like a sermon illustration and a point. I mean, as pastors, we're often attempting to come up with like taglines or big ideas that we can, we can share with you so you can walk with us out these doors and be inspired and have it on our minds throughout the week or at least until after lunch today, right? Jesus' tagline here in his sermon is, do unto others that you wish they would do unto you. That sums up everything that's been in the Law and Prophets It's a lot to sum up in one little sentence. What Jesus is declaring here is that from the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, you shall not commit adultery. All these laws summed up in do unto others that which you wish they would do unto you. I don't want to be murdered. I don't want to be stolen from. I don't want to be really sinned against in any way. So my life should reflect that, and I shouldn't sin against you. Jesus came to fulfill the law and prophets of the Old Testament. And he spoke the one tagline that sums up the whole thing. And some cool emperor, with his golden decor, put it on his wall. We have the golden rule. Jesus' words. Now check it out. The golden rule would have been uh, actually familiar to people in Jesus' day. See, what Jesus is saying was also within the culture of that time. See, you could find the golden rule in Jewish rabbinical writings. The Hillel staying, uh, stating that what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. What is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. Also within the realm of the great philosophers, we have Confucius who writes, do not do unto others what you would not want others to do unto you. Can you hear that? The secular and the religious sources of the phrase is negatively stated with do nots, which 
for us does not require any effort or action. What Jesus Christ is saying in his statement is his phrasing is positively stated. Do unto others, which requires efforts and actions. What is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. You don't need to do anything here. In fact, don't act towards your neighbor. Just kind of stay in your house. What Jesus is saying is act toward your neighbor. Bless them like you would want to be blessed. But also don't expect to be blessed. Don't just do unto your neighbor the good things because you expect to be paid back in good things from that person or others. The idea of karma, right? But instead, doing unto others out of a pure heart and pure motives because Christ compels you. He gave it all so that you might have life. And that should motivate us to do unto others as we wish they would do unto us. In fact, God's point the whole time with the Israelites in the Old Testament with all those laws and prophets is that they would truly just engage at the heart level, that they would stop the whole performance act, not performing on the outside, that they would engage the heart. I think that's why we find religion and traditions so frustrating It was, a, it was a long six-day work week, uh, repairing furnaces and exhausted by the job's demands caused by the recent cold weather spike. Driving around in the snow certainly didn't help with the efficiency of the job. And we can see that in his, in his truck sits a call list, a crazy service call list waiting for him when the inevitable Monday comes back around. But it's Sunday. And on Sunday, he goes to church. His parents kind of raised him that way. It's probably the right thing to do. He walks through the doors of the church building. He sits in his usual section, and he listens to the pastor teach about Jesus in this thing called the golden rule. He feels motivated and inspired to then go out and express love and kindness to the laundry list of customers in the week ahead. Inspired to go and do. And Monday comes. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love others as you would want to be loved. It's on repeat in his head over and over. And he expresses it. And Tuesday and Wednesday come, and it's still on repeat in his head. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he has this usual run-in with an angry customer about how they've waited way too long for this repair and how they want to complain to his supervisor about him. Thursday and Friday come no longer caring about that golden rule thing, but just exhausted, having a miserable week, returning Sunday with the classic line, 
well, I guess I just didn't try hard enough. This guy is going to struggle to understand that it is not his power and his efforts that result in loving those around him. It is Christ's supernatural power that causes believers to achieve loving their neighbor. Until he realizes that, he'll be stuck in this spin cycle of religion and niceties. Missing out on the incredible joys of relationship. It is until we're cut to the heart by the gospel of Jesus Christ and by what Jesus did through his life, death, and resurrection in paying the price for our sins, your sins and my sins, and giving us a way back to the Father, we're utterly lost and we're missing the mark. And we can't get back on our own. It's when that furnace technician guy engages his heart and begins a relationship with God, the God of the universe, the Savior of his soul, that he can leave that church building inspired to love his neighbor, and through the power of Christ that is within him, he will achieve that work. Firstly, he's got to make a choice. He's got to pick a gate. Verse 13 and 14. Enter... By the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Enter the narrow gate. This is what I was referring to as the beginning of the end. Jesus is concluding his sermon here. We're going to see. Um, him present things in twos in the coming weeks. Tonight, today we have the two gates, the two roads. There's no middle ground. There is only two options. And every person ever is faced with a decision in this life. The wide gate or the narrow gate. Abandon the popular and the familiar, the comfortable and the traditional and adhere yourself to the narrow way or pick the easy path because life is hard enough, right? Choose the narrow way and in doing so, you have to leave all that baggage behind. Your choice is between two gates that lead to roads. Jesus' way, the narrow way, is the difficult way. You're going to face oppression. You're going to face opposition. It's not the popular way in 2023. The narrow gate is Jesus. He is the gate, and he's welcoming all in who find it. He says, leave all your baggage here and come enter the road. and Pick up your cross and follow me. It's lifelong discipleship that leads to eternal life. Lifelong following after Christ through the narrows, not the easy stuff, but the reward is incredible. Life with the Father God in heaven. On the other side, the other option, 
There's no middle ground, right? Ah, well done. Okay, sweet. So there's the narrow gate. There's nothing here, right? Because it's just these two options. The wide gate is popular opinion. It's unlimited baggage. You can bring anything you want with you. You don't have to leave anything behind. This is the comfortable place to be. Just come and enjoy. Because that's what this is about, right? This is what this life is about. This is enjoyment and comfort. The wide road is easy. You don't got to bump into other people. It's so wide. Whatever your thing is, that's okay. Bring it. It's accepted here. But in the end, instead of some awesome, glorious ending, it just leads to destruction. On the wide road, anything is permissible. There are few boundaries. If your thing is, is connecting with nature and, and the ecosystem, well, that's okay. You're welcome here. If your thing is meditation, that's okay. You're welcome here. If your thing is pornography, that's okay. You're welcome here on the wide road. The road is wide and has room for your things. All we ask is you just don't cast value judgments and say that there's a better way. There's another way. It may feel like you're, you're free to enjoy and that you have an immense amount of independence on the wide road, but it's all very deceptive. The journey down the wide road is all there is. So whatever you enjoy, that's all you get because it ends in unsatisfying destruction. To enter the narrow gate, you must find it. And you must lay your baggage on the outside of it and leave it all behind. As the Beatitudes outlined, be poor in spirit and mourn your sins. We come before God with nothing in our hands but our sins and our dire need to be saved. It's not spacious, it's rather confining. It's narrow in imposing boundaries on our thoughts and our beliefs, but it is not controlling. The narrow way is fulfilling, providing freedom and joy. Because at the end of the road is glory. Nobody is going to be saved through nature or meditation or their sexual enlightenment. There's no life in the journey in the wide road, there is only salvation for those who believe in Jesus and receive his free gift of grace. That is only to journey on the narrow road, the road to life. So what road are you on? It's a question I got to ask myself, what road am I on? Commentator this week wrote, it is not enough to listen to the preaching about the gate. You must enter it. Enter the narrow gate and stay on that road. Don't veer off. 
Maybe this, uh, this is the first time you're hearing about this whole gate thing. Maybe you actually have a lot more questions than answers now because Jake isn't explaining it all. But out of the conviction of my soul concerning this, this golden rule, I would love nothing more than to express to you this, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is nothing that you can do, there is no great life that you can go out there and live and earn. Jesus gives it freely. His grace and His work makes a way for you to have life. For we were dead in our sins. But we have been made alive to God. He's waiting at the narrow gate for you now. He loves you and He saved you. Will you believe? Will you enter that narrow gate? If your heart's like, yes, okay, I'd love to talk with you afterwards. It's like, I'm not sure yet. I'd still love to talk with you afterwards. He loves you and he's saved you. And maybe uh, for you, this is the 14th or 67th or uh, 1,322nd time that you've heard about the gates and the golden rule because you've studied your word and you've been walking with Christ for a long time. Hopefully it raises questions in you today as well. That the living and active word of God is still transforming you. I don't want us to walk out of here this morning with the mindset that, ah, yes, the golden rule, the narrow road, jolly good. I'm on it. It's a great reminder. My hope and my prayer, believer, is that you and I take seriously our call. This recorded in the end of the book of Matthew here. The last few verses, the last few words that Jesus is saying to his followers, that we would take seriously our call to go, to make disciples, that we would teach and baptize with Christ who lives in you and the Holy Spirit that fills you with power for the glory of the Father. That these truths and the knowledge that you have about the narrow and the wide gates may propel you forward in your relationship, in your relationships at work or at school or in your home with your family, at the bank, at Starbucks, at Karma. You would take the step out of sitting in the comfortable chair of just growing and serving out in faith towards stepping into the stance of disciple-making. Kingdom life. This is what we're called to. Kingdom multiplication. Finding the one or two in your life that have chosen maybe the wide road. And it's, it's stepping into the disciple-making that, will act, that will, you will love them through word and deed. And out of loving them, you'll point them to Jesus, the Savior of their soul, the one who's waiting by the narrow gate for them. 
to relieve them of their baggage and their burdens. Give them the freedom towards life. And after entering the gate, they pick up their cross on the road to life and they follow hard and fast after Christ. It's their decision to make. It's not your decision to make for them. It's the most important decision that they will ever make in their entire life. Your job, believer, is simply to love them and point them to the truth, to the way, to Jesus who is the life. And you can only achieve that through the strength and the power of he who lives in you. Are we stepping up and engaging in disciple-making So, I want us to take the time now, in silence, before we can conclude in songs of worship and praise, I want us to ask and listen. I want you to ask and listen. I want you to ask God who it is He has for you this week to love a person that has maybe not chosen the narrow gate yet, a person who dearly needs to know that Jesus loves them and has saved them. I want you to ask to not work out of your own strength, but only the strength of he who is within you that is sufficient and fulfilling. So I want you to ask, and then I want you to listen. I just want you to sit in it. Don't spend too much time asking. It's like two sentences, okay? Then just sit in it and listen. Listen to him. Listen for him, for that person's name. Don't be too quick to listen, though. We are to be slow to listen. Oh, no, slow to speak. That's what James taught us. (laughs) Matt concluded it well last week. Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the opportunity will be given to you. Take this time in silence, and we're going to praise and worship God.